Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 35, and it's from ESV version. You may like to open your Bible or even a Bible app. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? going up to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its taste, saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soy or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Thank you, Lydia, for reading God's Word for us this morning, and thank uh, all of you for registering and joining us in our service this morning. And uh, greetings to all of you who join us online. We're grateful that you have come to gather around God's Word. I just want to say a, a brief word of encouragement. As you know, in our current um, status as a religious organization. We have a limit of 100 people who are allowed to join us here on a Sunday. So if you do register and cannot come, I want to encourage you just please release your seats because every week we have those on the waiting list who cannot come. And so just let uh, Carrie know or, or let our office know and we'll be happy to release those seats to others. And we continue to pray for the day that we will be able to regather and all of us will experience what Lydia did this morning, which is, oh my goodness, how early do I have to get the bus in order to get there on time for nine o'clock? So bless you, Lydia. And uh, thank you all again for joining us. In this morning's message, we are, as we have been all year, celebrating this COVID season with the reminder that God calls us to radical dependence on Him. 
This morning's message taken from Luke 14, verses 25 through 35, and I will say quite honestly that many scholars will classify this text as being a part of a sub-body of teaching that they identify as the hard teachings of Jesus. This is a hard teaching of Jesus because in a Western culture, in fact, in every culture, how to hate your family is not an awesome sermon title. It's not the way to get people to come and, and hear what God wants to say to us. It's, it's also especially awkward on a Sunday when we are celebrating families and we are rejoicing that God has brought us families. So this is going to be challenging for us. Let me, for those of you who like it, give you the outline. Uh, number one, many are attracted, but few will follow. Those who do follow will reposition their priorities and renounce their possessions. Okay, it's not getting better with the outline, is it? So let's pray. Uh, Father God, we are reminded once again that your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And yet we come with our own thoughts this morning. We are full of our own ways. So I pray that today you would help us to hear, but not just to listen, but in, in hearing, help us to respond, to acknowledge that you have a better way for us, a way that will help us lean fully on you and love better and serve better than we ever could have imagined. So do a work in us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's get right into this text. Uh, many are attracted to Jesus, but few will follow him. Now, I, I've just been told I move these too quickly. Um, it, it's okay if you don't get the points. Here's the verse in 25. Actually, it's just half a verse. Now, great crowds accompanied him. Now, now it may seem odd that half a verse requires its own point when this is the only thing that Jesus does not actually say in this text, it is Luke, the narrator, who's observing that great crowds accompanied him. But it's important because this is a defining moment in Jesus' ministry. This is a critical moment in Jesus' ministry because at this moment, Jesus begins to lay out a filter that will separate his fans from his followers. Those who were attracted to him and to those, and those who were deeply wanting to be discipled by him. So those great crowds who were attracted to his ministry from this point on would begin to thin out. Yes, he would still have crowds when he made it to Jerusalem. He would have another crowd waiting for him to, to, at Jerusalem. But at this point, many of the multitude would begin to drift away. And they kept drifting away until that moment he scandalized an entire city by carrying his own cross through the streets. Jesus had established a filter that separates 
And, and I want to say, uh, for those of you who are new or visiting with us, and even for those of you who have been in, in GBC for a very, very long time, it's important for us to hear that this is also a defining moment for us at Grace Baptist Church. Because you need to hear this. The elders of this church do not believe it is for our good or to God's glory that we should ever become a megachurch. It is not our ambition that we become an attractive church. Our vision is that we become a disciple-making church, and many will be attracted to Christ, but not many will follow him. This is a reality of our vision. Uh, many will love him, but few will follow. In Judges uh, chapter 6 and 7, there is this amazing story of God himself coming down to intersect in the life of a young Hebrew boy named Gideon. And, and Gideon is an important figure in this story because he was the youngest in his family. His family was the most insignificant family in their tribe. Their tribe was the smallest tribe in all of Israel. And to this man, this young man, God himself says, Ho, mighty warrior, God is with you. It wasn't because Gideon was significant. In fact, God gave him an assignment that was too big for him and too big for Israel. And that is defeat a Midianite army who you can't even count. Who, whose men and soldiers and camels and war horses Clutter the entire land, who are consuming your crops. Defeat them. And so Gideon sends word out through all of the land, summoning all the sons of Israel, come gather, we need to defeat the enemies of the Lord. And when they come together, 32,000 men answered the call. And this was God's response. The people with you are too many. Too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest they boast over me and say, my own hand has saved me. We have no ambition to be a megachurch with awesome music, awesome speakers, great entertainment. We desire to be a disciple-making church in which only Christ is awesome. It is to his glory and for our good. This is the teaching of that little boy's lunch. This is why the apostle would say the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world because little is much when God is in it. And, and, and friends, I don't care what your status is in Singapore. He's not looking for awesomeness. He's looking for broken, wounded People who would say, yes, whatever you desire to do with this, I, I submit to that. But second, and there's two parts to the second point. Followers of Jesus will reposition our priorities. Even our priorities to the mo in the most significant relationships we have in our lives, families. And he turned to the crowd. This is the first layer of filter. 
And he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Now, this is why in a book as thick as the Bible, you better have a good understanding of the broader revelation of God on that topic before you land on a theology. Because Jesus, the one who said, unless you hate your own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, you cannot be my disciple, is the same one who absolutely renovated, redefined, revolutionized the concept of love. He, he was the one who reminds us that you will honor your parents. He was the one who said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. And the other commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This was the same Jesus who said, unless you hate. So if you put all of his comments on love, which, which is the love that he introduced is, is not transactional, like the love that the world knew in the first century. I love because of the benefit I received from this affection. Jesus' love was sacrificial. We love for the benefit that others get, that others receive. This was his love. So with all that in mind, we have to know that this word hate does not mean absolute. It means relative. We know that his love is sacrificial. So this comment, even this comment, is designed to bless those in your family. So, so how does that work? If, if you understand, first of all, that he's talking about relative to me, you should feel this way about others. Then you understand why Matthew's version says it this way, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, so a disciple doesn't just reposition family loyalties. A disciple repositions self-loyalties, personal loyalties. Or, he says, even the one who comes to me and does not hate even his own self. That man cannot be my disciples. Christian obedience is an obedience that costs me everything. Christian love is a love that costs me everything. So, so, let me just give you a, a short illustration. And, uh, you know, I apologize that all my illustrations have to do with Sherry. <laughs> but, but I'm an expert in Sherry. And so, as you know, she's in Vancouver in quarantine. But, but every morning she will call me. And before she sleeps, she will also FaceTime me. And, the, and my off day, by the way, is Monday. And so that means tomorrow morning, she will FaceTime me. And, and the thing about my sweet wife is she hates it. There's that word, relative. She hates it when I spend my off day doing unproductive things. So, so she will call me tomorrow 
Remember, she hates it when I spend my off day doing unproductive things. And she'll just casually say, so what do you have planned today? Which is code for have you made your list? Have you put things on that list relative to their importance? Meaning, have you called M1 and asked about why our bill is so high? When I paid for the passport, I shouldn't be paying for roaming. That's going to be on my list. Priority. In fact, my list tomorrow is going to be call M1 and everything else. For Christian disciples, we have a priority list. It's a short list. Love Jesus. Everything else. Serve Christ. Everything else. And, and the thing about this obedience that costs, like a love that costs, it is for the benefit of everything else. Love, serve, obey Christ, everything else. All of this on the top priority is for the benefit of everything and everyone else. My obedience to Christ is good for Sherry. Because Jesus intends my love for her to be the death of me. That's why Christian spouses are to love their wives like Christ loved his church. Pouring himself out. Emptying himself on behalf of what? Himself? No. On behalf of us, his bride, the church. That's what happens when his ambitions are one and everything else benefits from that one sacrifice. So the truth is, you know, we just have little commitment to things we don't invest in. And in this scripture, Jesus just kind of gives three metaphor, metaphors excuse me, that inform the cost of discipleship. Um, it's just really simple. A cross, a tower, and a treaty. Now, now I'm going to deal with each of these really quickly so you, you, know, you don't have to take the notes of this slide. Kaiman, I'm moving it right now. Is that okay? There it goes. First, the cross. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, you've probably heard this last week. In the first century... If anyone in town saw a man walking through the streets bearing a cross, he knew one thing. That man will be dead by the Sabbath. He's not going to a party. He's not going to a wedding banquet. If you're carrying a cross, you are going to die. And, and this is literally what Jesus asks of me. He's asking me to die. To die to myself to die to my will, to die to my rights. That's why not wearing a mask should never be a position of a Christian. Because we've died to our rights, to be independent, to be autonomous, to have a say. We've said, I've given it all up. Picking up a cross is not saying you need to be executed. It's saying, just like Jesus, I am going to submit everything for the sake of a higher cause. 
cross-bearing is radical, sacrificial obedience. That is what it is. And then, secondly, uh, a tower. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? Now, now, okay, you haven't done it in a while. I know you haven't done it in a while because the causeway is closed. But I know what happens when you go to our neighbor to the north and you see all these concrete skeletons not finished building. You go, ah, Malaysians, Buhweswana. Or they, they, they can't finish stuff. It's, it's a sign of shame if you haven't truly counted the cost. That, that's why we don't try to rush people to the altar. We don't try to manipulate and bend people. We want people to know if you have not considered the cost of following Christ, then better just stay where you're at. Just, just take some time. Um, Kyle Smith is an American journalist. Sorry if this is your game. I just picked it. He has uh, written an article for the New York Post called We Are Losing a Whole Generation of Young Men. And, and he wrote this article out of his own experience with, with suffering with a, a just a unproductive addiction to this game, which just happens to be like civilization. And as he explored his own behaviors and how he had unintentionally given so much of his time and life to unproductive behavior, he, he said this, After a while, I realized that becoming a master of a fake world was not worth the hundreds of hours a month it was costing me. And so with profound regret... He took his floppy disk, that's how old it was, and, and pushed it back in his closet. I, I suspect that there are many in this room and many watching our live stream who uh, have deep ambition to be the king of whatever temporary office or house or castle you find yourself. Do you know the number one source of conflict in a relationship is who's in charge? Who's setting the course? Who, who, who is the leader? We, we spend hundreds of hours. We spend our energy, our efforts, all to become a boss over some little empire that will not matter in 30 years, let alone 300 no one will know that I was a supervisor of missionaries. No one cares. No one will know that you're a manager in an office. All of our investment in kingdoms that do not matter. We haven't counted the cost. What, what, what is, who's going to care all the effort you give? Is your supervisor in 30 years going to write you and say, you know, you changed my life because you gave so many hours to the work? In Judges chapter 7, God afforded the armies of Israel an opportunity to count the cost. In verse 3, he said, whoever is fearful and trembling, return home, leave, leave this mountain. 
and 22,000 people returned home. Jesus knew, just giving this illustration, there would be some in the crowd who would say, okay, I've, I was actually just coming for fish. I was coming for more bread. Right? I, I, I was just coming for the great teaching. But if there's going to be a cost, time to get off this mountain. Let, 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 let me just go home. Because the cost of discipleship is high. Do you, do you remember last week? Some of you, if you were online or perhaps maybe you were here, do you remember it cost something for a man to buy land? It cost something for a man to buy ten teams of oxen? A marriage is not cheap, you know. And with every investment, it led those men further and further away from their heavenly Father's embrace. So deeply were they investing in things that did not matter. So this is the truth of God's Word to us this morning. The things we invest in, the level of commitment we indicate the kingdoms that we are building, it demonstrates we've counted the cost or we've said you, Jesus, alone are worthy. Finally, there's, there's a treaty. In verses 31 to 32, Jesus says, or what, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Any king will do this, he would say. You know, a king gathers his war council. He consults with his generals, and he asks them simple questions. Is this possible? Can we win the day? Is it worth our blood and treasure? Any king does this. And then verse 32, if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Can you tell who's surrendering in this painting? The man without his crown, the one without the symbol of honor, his military hat, He's out off the battlefield saying, please, Napoleon, what are your terms? Give us the terms for peace because we've consulted with our generals. We cannot come up against your army. What are the terms of peace? Do you know that peace agreements require somebody to lay their crown down? Somebody has to submit for the sake of those he loves. Someone must submit. For many of us, this is why, especially guys, are you listening? Especially us guys. For many of us, coming to Christ means surrender. Means I give up my ambition to be in charge. I give up my delusions of glory, of being the influencer in every room 
to being the leader of every team. I give that up for the sake of Christ. Who while we were enemies, Romans 5 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled. It doesn't say we went and reconciled. While we were enemies, Christ picked up his cross, walked through the streets, scandalized those who previously were attracted to him. While we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This is why the hymn writer wrote these words, All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures, what? All forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. When we come to Christ, disciples don't come to get things from Him. We come to bow down and lay something at His feet. It's the crown we have been convinced by our culture belongs to us. We throw it down at His feet. Why? Because in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile, make peace, to himself. He is the commander we meet on the battleground of life. He is the one we parley. He was the one we plead for mercy. For the sake of those we love. And he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is what he has done for us. Followers of Christ, finally, will renounce their possessions. Again, this is a tough one, right? Followers of Jesus will renounce their possessions. Just says it really clearly, right? So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, now, I think it says something about contemporary Christianity that the only time we hear that word apostasy is when someone who grew up in church decided, I don't like it, and, and left their faith. They are called what? An apostate. It's also used in, a, in another large faith or religion in this country. Apostates. Someone who has left their faith. In actual fact, this is not a word to grieve, this is a word to celebrate, because this is the word used in this text. Apostaso, renounce. Typically, renounce ownership for the sake of following Christ. We must make sure we get that he's not saying, okay, count all the stuff you have, do an inventory, and get rid of it. The most significant word in this text is that little word that we've had translated for us, has. All the stuff you own, renounce 
ownership. Because, listen, disciples renounce ownership. We realize that we are not owners of everything. All these good things that God gives us, including our birth on this island, was lent to us by a good and gracious God. The the breath we have, He gives. The life we live, He gives. We are stewards of it all. And true disciples decide, everything I have, I hold like this. Because it's just God's, and he's invited me to be a steward of all that he has. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote to that group of believers, learning how to become disciples in the city of Corinth. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, a gift, You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price by the blood of his cross. So glorify God in your body. That means in your stewardship of all that God has given us, disciples will seek to glorify God. Glorify God in your flat Glorify God in your bungalow, in your car, with your MRT pass. Whatever you think you own, seek ways to glorify God. That is the calling of the disciple. Because the calling is to what? Sacrificial obedience. This is the key. You can be attracted to Jesus. But if you're a disciple... You don't simply want to get stuff that that mentor has. You want to imitate your mentor. You want to be just like he was. In fact, um, I was brushing my teeth this morning. And I spat directly in the drain. And, And I suddenly had this memory of brushing my teeth when I think I was four. I, I think I was that young, or I should say that short, because I couldn't quite reach my neck all the way over into the sink. And my mom came in while I was spraying toothpaste everywhere, and she said one thing to me. She said, you know, Ian, your daddy loves to spit right in the hole. And I climbed up on that sink, and hung over with my legs flopping in the air and began from that moment to spit right in the middle of the drain. Not because I was thinking, hey, I don't want mom to be troubled with the splatter. I had no clue about that. I just knew I wanted to be like my daddy. This is discipleship. This is why family dedications matter. Because our children are looking to us to imitate Christ. That is how we begin to disciple even our own families. So, this is what Christ modeled for us. He renounced his own glory for the sake of a cross. Though he was God... He did not think equality with God a thing to cling to, but instead he 
emptied himself, took the form of a slave. The king of creation stepped down from glory. He put on human flesh. He bore our shame. He was punished to death. He was raised in victory. And now we imitate him so that he becomes our living hope. So, so what small human glory in light of all our master has given up, what small human glory would you be willing today to renounce for the sake of the gospel? I'm going to move quickly, so this is going to really bother you. I'm just moving on because I want us to have time. Um, this is like an epilogue. It's almost as if it doesn't even fit in the text. The last two verses. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just in case we are tempted to believe that Jesus has left his critique of religious pedigree, he now makes it clear. Remember the story, the parable last week was told to a group of Pharisees gathered at a glorious banquet. Jesus is now putting the full stop on that teaching. Just in case you're tempted to believe that he's moved away from his critique of religious pedigree, he talks about salt that has lost its flavor and how it is absolutely useless. The truth is, it is so much easier to change your religion than it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I know that some of you are praying about whether or not you should be baptized because your, your, your fear is that if you're baptized, you're then suddenly changing your religion from, from whatever to Christian and you don't want to grieve parents or you, you don't want to have to explain it. it it's, it's a challenge, but that's not the reason we're being baptized. We're baptized to display not a change of religion, but to display our obedience to Christ. Disciples are sacrificially obedient. It would be so much easier just to change from one religious pedigree to another religious pedigree than it would be to follow Christ. And most, to their horror, will discover that's all we have done. We've seen it in Europe, I've seen it in Canada, and it is now happening in America. The nations have lost their taste for religion, even Christian religion. Christian Pharisees won over Brussels, we've ruled over parliaments, Christians have won the White House and have lost our testimony. So are we transactually attracted to Christ? That, that's, that's the irony, right? In this day of wealthy Christians where people are promised health and welfare, that in, 
in pursuing him attractionally, we are pursuing, number one, all the same faded glories of the nations, and we're pursuing the very thing he's inviting us to renounce. I want to own more stuff. I wonder if this morning you would consider the words of the Apostle Paul, one-time Pharisee, who proclaimed to the church in Philippi, one time in my life I had all that stuff. But, but now I consider everything as loss. I've lost ownership of my societal status, my wealth, my influence, and gladly so for the surpassing joy of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. He had laid his crown down. He had declared only Christ worthy. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. As we close this time together, I, I know that some of us have, you know, made a sacrifice to register early, to get up early and be here in person. Uh, others have made sacrifice by you know, watching online and standing up when we stand up here and participate in this service. But to all of us, Jesus would say now, I know you, not because you hear my word, but I know you because you hear my word and do it. I guarantee you I was the only little boy in my neighborhood that day who was spitting in a hole right in the middle because my daddy did it that way. It's not enough to know Bible information. We haven't applied it until we ask, what am I to do with your word today, O oh God? How must I respond? I, I just want to say to you, let's just take the pressure off. Because as far as I can tell, God puts it in your court. Do you feel anxiety or, or fear? Then get off the mountain. You know, just go home. He's still a God of grace and mercy. On the other hand, perhaps you have fear and are willing to trust this almighty God with your anxiety. Maybe you don't yet know how to communicate it with everyone in your family. Even know how to communicate it with your own self. But, but if today you would dare say, Oh Lord, all to you I surrender. He has already made peace with you. By the blood of the cross, He has reconciled you. He's demonstrated his affection for you. Would you trust him with all you have? And by the way, this is not a 
ploy to get you to give it back to the church. This is, will you trust him as he trusts you to be a steward with all that he's given you? This is a holy moment. A moment in which God's people can do business with the Almighty. A moment where each of us can ask ourselves this question. Am I, am I just a Jesus fan? Or, or do I desire to be a disciple? Do I desire to grow deep in him? So here is this reflection question. Are, are we prepared? Are you prepared in this holy moment to apostasso, to renounce all things in your life that are not truly worthy of your attention and your energy? Are you willing today to say, all to Jesus, I do, I surrender. Father God, we thank you that you hear our prayers, that you are a God of grace and mercy who gives good things to those who ask. Father, you even give good things when we've forgotten to ask. Help us now to respond to your word in ways that are for our good and for the good of those we love. Help us to today grow deeper in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.